Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. My name is John Schock, and I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee, and we are looking for Jesus. This is the third of our four-part series entitled, Will the Real Jesus Please Rise? In this series, I have spoken with four of the most prolific, provocative, and outspoken scholars regarding the historical Jesus in the United States. Each of them has a unique view of the historical Jesus, and today's guest is no exception. He is Dr. Robert M. Price. Uh, his book is called The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems, and he's on the phone with me from uh, Selma, North Carolina. Dr. Price has written numerous books on New Testament and Jesus and the Bible. Uh, some of those titles include The Incredible Shrinking Son of Man, How Reliable is the Gospel Tradition, uh, Deconstructing Jesus, The Reason-Driven Life, What Am I Here on Earth For? He's a professor of theology and scriptural studies at Coleman Theological Seminary, founder and editor of the Journal of Higher Criticism, a fellow of the Jesus Seminar. He has two PhDs, one in theology and one in New Testament from Drew University. Welcome, Dr. Price. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you are here. Uh, scholars have long recognized that uh, many of the stories attached to Jesus are legend, fiction, myth, or whatever word might be appropriate, but, but not history. Uh, Jesus rising from the dead, performing miracles, being born of a virgin, we, we, we call those legends. Um, there are certainly some scholars, apologists perhaps, who would want to defend those stories as history, but most critical scholars would say those stories don't qualify as history. Nevertheless, they say that Jesus uh, was a person, we can say a few things about. There was a guy who told us to be nice to our neighbors, so we killed him. But you're saying, no, not even him. Jesus is fiction from beginning to end. H how did you come to this position? Well, it was gradual, and when I first heard of it, I thought it was a crazy view. I like certain uh, well-known authors of recent books continue to maintain. Uh, but uh, uh, the more I looked into it, I moved from the kind of position you just mentioned, where a lot is... Uh, bracketed off as myth and legend, but on the assumption that only a certain type of person attracts such uh, myths and legends, so there must be a hard core of history uh, at the uh, center of it. But uh, the more I've uh, read, uh, I say I've moved from that to believing that uh, the burden of proof, a burden difficult to bear, is on those who would say, yeah, there was a historical Jesus. And uh, I guess the, uh, the it was piece by piece. Uh, I uh, started uh, scrutinizing the gospel tradition, uh, a la Boltmann and Perrin and all of these guys, and uh, I found that their criteria for uh, saying that this saying or that story was inauthentic um, really should be pressed logically uh, further than they did, that certain sayings they accepted they really shouldn't have, according to their, their view. The same with the Jesus Seminar, that uh, the, they just seemed to me to stop short, and uh, there seemed very little left. And when I began to um, look at the work of several earlier scholars who had argued that this, that, and the other gospel story was um, looked an awful lot like various Old Testament stories, plus some from the Odyssey and the Iliad. Uh, and I, I grouped these things together for a paper. I found that uh, I didn't buy everything all of them said, but I found between them a number of startlingly compelling 
uh, derivations uh, from from these other sources, and I began to think, uh, I don't see anything in here with a possible exception of the rich young ruler story uh, that doesn't look like it was very likely derived from well-known writings. And then as a historian, you have to ask yourself, well, what's more likely, that a guy changed water into wine, rose from the dead, walked on water, healed lepers, uh, resurrected folks, or that uh, somebody rewrote very familiar stories? Well, uh, that, uh, that was a major blow to the thing, and I, I think the one that really was the most stunning to me was the fact that uh, Mark, the earliest account of the crucifixion, bases the whole thing on Psalm 22, uh, and then when Matthew adds details, he gets them from the wisdom of Solomon and the prophet Zechariah. Like, what, you mean to tell me there was no historical memory of this? Uh, and so I, it, it began to just slip away, and the fact that there is no real connection between Jesus and the history of his times, as there is for other mythologized figures, such as Apollonius of Tyana and Caesar Augustus, made me think, you know, if there was a Jesus, he has been completely obscured behind the stained glass curtain, and there's just no particular reason to think so. If all the evidence collapses, what have you got left? And uh, so I, I don't hold it as a dogma or anything. I mean, there's certainly no way to know. And if someone were to discover so much as an old papyrus letter where some businessman on a trip wrote to his wife and said, I heard the famous Nazarene Jesus, and he's all that they say he is. Like, if that's all we had, that would destroy the Christ myth theory, and maybe it'll happen. I don't care. But, uh, but it, short of that, there just isn't any real evidence. Well, how does the Christ myth theory uh, work? Uh, who, who created Jesus Christ, and why? Well, it seems to me to have flowed together from various sources that the uh, that the uh, basic idea of the death that uh, enlivened the world is a combination already of Gnostic mythology, where the primordial man of light was ambushed and destroyed by the evil archons, who are the ones uh, credited in the Pauline epistles with the death of Jesus, not Pilate or Herod or anybody like that, and uh, that this happened at the dawn of time to give life to the inert world created by the Gnostic demiurge, the kind of uh, demi or subordinate godling that made the material world, that that has been historicized with the help of the dying and rising god uh, myth theme that you find, despite what apologists say, you find amply attested for hundreds of years before Christianity in the, uh, the Israelite neighborhood. With that has uh, come the Jesus uh, hero cult, uh, where, where we have stories, novel-like stories of Jesus uh, that resemble that of uh, Pythagoras and Apollonius and, and various novels in which people are prematurely buried but released alive by grave robbers, where people are condemned to the cross but escape alive. And all of these common myth themes uh, just seem to have consolidated in several ways, but, but uh, in this case, in the way we find it in the New Testament. So I say the New Testament, Jesus Christ, is the end result. It's the fruit, not the root of Christianity. So would, um, in your view, Paul have, have some of the earliest letters, uh, earliest documents in the New Testament would be the letters of Paul. Would you say Paul is part of this creation of, of, of the Jesus Christ myth? Well, if 
these, if the main letters, the, either the four that F.C. Bauer recognized or the seven that uh, most today recognize as authentic, if they are, then uh, it's, it's very striking that there is nothing about Jesus as a teacher. There aren't any teachings quoted. The two often quoted from 1 Corinthians seem obviously to me to be uh, words of wisdom, as you find in 1 Corinthians 14. They're, they're from the, uh, the heavenly Christ, not quotes from an earthly man. There's no miracles. There's even a close to a denial of miracles. There's nothing about an itinerant teacher. Uh, and uh, the, the closest you have is uh, the Last Supper, which is said to have come to the author from a revelation explicitly, not from, <laughs> from historical memory. So uh, all you really have in the Pauline letters is God sent his son somewhere, uh, and uh, he was uh, given up for our sake. Uh, he uh, died and was raised, and uh, it's at the right hand of God. This is almost like to reduce it to what Kierkegaard said, that if, if all we knew about the gospel was that Jesus came and died and rose, that would be enough. That's about all you've got. Uh, and uh, it just seems to me that the apparent evidence in the other direction, uh, of which there is precious little, is being misinterpreted. Uh, so, I, and again, I used to think this was a nutty view, but the more I looked at it and said, now, what does this text really say? And what am I reading into it from, uh, from the Gospels? If I bracket that, it doesn't say much about an earthly Jesus, if anything. If you're just joining us, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck, and my guest is Dr. Robert Price with a fascinating thesis. His book, uh, published in 2011, is called The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems, the idea being that Jesus Christ uh, is a mythological figure from beginning to end. Uh, now, your view, and this is a criticism from um, those who disagree with you, uh, that your view is a minority view. They say that uh, few, if anyone, in academic circles thinks Jesus is a myth from start to finish. So, so my question to you is, how, how does it feel to be an underdog, and how do you evaluate that criticism? Well, it's no criticism. Uh, and for one thing, if it were true, it, it, on the face of it, uh, it, it would be irrelevant. Uh, as Francis Schaeffer used to say, you can't determine truth by a nose count. Uh, you, you have to look at the issues. It simply doesn't matter. Like, should Copernicus have said, it looks to me like the Earth orbits the sun, but uh, most people don't think so, so I guess I'm crazy. Uh, you, you just, given the history of research in any area, or look at the guy that uh, came up, Wagener, I think, that came up with continental drift. Everybody thought this guy was like Velikovsky, that he was a lunatic, but now everybody believes it. It's, it just never matters who believes what at any given point, you have to look at the evidence. Now, you'd think, well, these people have looked at the evidence, haven't they? Well, you know, uh, uh, it might, the fact that there's this massive agreement that Jesus existed could possibly have something to do with the fact that almost all biblical scholars are Christians of one stripe or another and can't think outside that box. I'm not a mind reader, I don't know that, but it's just that there's a very ready-to-hand explanation as to why there would be such near unanimity. I mean, how many, uh, how many Muslim scholars uh, of Muhammad are going to have the freedom to think that the, that the Hadith are spurious? They're, they're just not thinking that way. Uh, well, now, is there even such a united front? Not really, because if you look at what historical Jesus scholars say, they're all over the map. 
uh, they believe, some believe Jesus was a community organizer. Some say he was like Gandhi or E.F. Schumacher. Others say he was an apocalyptic prophet or he was a zealot revolutionary or he was a proto-feminist or a Galilean Hasid or a cynic philosopher, etc., etc., etc. They take a certain group of passages and declare the others historically null and void and all of them have a certain plausibility they're they're not crazy views but they all cancel one another out in fact there are many many views about the historical jesus question and the christ myth theory is simply one of the many views it'll never predominate but neither will any of the others it's so provocative, uh, the idea of, of this, the idea of people thinking that Jesus might be a myth, I mean, kind of blows people's minds, I think. Um, I mean, they think it's kind of like saying 9-11 was, uh, you know, a Bush administration, you know, invention. Yeah, that's how, or Holocaust <laughs> denial. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's often brought up. But uh, if you just look at the evidence for these things, uh, it, uh, the, the seeming parallel evaporates immediately. Uh, and uh, I just think that people cannot stand the idea and thus will not uh, seriously consider it. I don't mean to say no impartial person uh, could avoid believing in it. That's ridiculous. But it's just as tentative as all these other Jesus theories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the arguments uh, that I hear uh, in favor of Jesus as an historical person is the idea of uh, that a Messiah, Christ being a, a title, really the name, uh, the Greek uh, Christos for Messiah, the anointed one, the guy who's going to come and, and uh, take care of the Romans, establish the kingdom and all that kind of stuff. And here comes Jesus and he ends up getting killed. And so why would they promote the idea of a crucified Messiah? Therefore, uh, that sounds like he might have been a real guy. What do you make of yeah, that? Yeah, I know Bart Ehrman says that. There's uh, one fundamental flaw with that, and it is that the messianic uh, element in the Gospels is so minimal. It's often been wondered if it's secondary, because uh, the, the fact that Jesus is nothing like a Davidic Messiah, and there's even a story in Mark where Jesus is said to have challenged the very notion of a Davidic Messiah. And uh, what what's, is, is he a... Uh, a political figure? Is he a military figure? Does he say anything about uh, getting rid of the Romans? Well, one or two passages might be understood that way, but uh, scholars have said for a long time, oh yeah, Jesus knew he was the Messiah, but he radically redefined it, and that's why he kept it secret. Well, in other words, you're saying he didn't think that he was the Messiah. If you say, uh, well, I'm a capitalist, but of course I define that uh, along the lines of Karl Marx and communism, pal, you're not a capitalist. <laughs> and, and the point is, why would they, if there's some other meaning, it might have had it. Indeed, there is. In the well-known, very ancient Osiris religion, Osiris dies and is anointed by Isis, and that raises him from the dead, whereupon he becomes the judge of the living and the dead in the afterworld. Well, I think uh, scholars from, I believe it was the 19th century, I can't think of the names right now, um, said that uh, Jesus the Anointed referred to that, uh, that the, uh, the scene of the anointing in Bethany was originally the direct sequel to the women approaching the tomb with the spices to anoint the body. And in the original, it was like the Osiris story. They did anoint it, and that's how he rose from the dead. And that's what he meant by saying, she has saved it for the day of my burial. And uh, so the, uh, the anointed uh, seems to me to be a, a 
Judaization, as they say, when, when Jews adopted this as they did the religion of Dionysus and Osiris and Tammuz, as the Bible shows us, uh, this uh, became uh, reinterpreted. One last thing, uh, the, the uh, a definite sign of this is the Lord's Supper, where uh, Jesus is, says nothing about the Passover. Uh, that's a subsequent uh, attempt to Judaize it. Rather, he says, just as Osiris and Dionysus did, this wine is my blood, this, uh, this bread is my body, which means that he's a fertility deity. I mean, it fits perfectly into that tradition, whereas Jewish tradition, Jewish ritual of, of symbolic blood drinking, that's just impossible given Leviticus. It would be like having a Jewish ritual based on symbolic child molestation. It would just be unthinkable. So if there's an unsuccessful attempt to assimilate the mystery religion uh, into uh, conventional Jewish categories, and that's why we have a messianic Jesus who looks nothing like the Messiah. That's why we have a Last Supper that is supposedly a Passover but violates every convention of it. And it seems to me the, these are whopping questions that if you don't believe in the Christ myth theory, you better have some answer for. You mentioned earlier about uh, the Apostle Paul, that he doesn't care about really Jesus as a person. Uh, perhaps there are a couple of things in there that might indicate that Jesus was a real guy. He talks about the brother of the Lord being James, and uh, and he says that Jesus was born of a woman. Is, is there something there to that? Uh, those are just the two points I was thinking of when this came up earlier. The brother of the Lord is complete question-begging. Uh, Ehrman ridicules me for suggesting that uh, this need mean uh, Jesus was the biological sibling of James, or vice versa, any more than the 19th century Taiping Messiah was because he called himself the little brother of Jesus. Well, uh, he, uh, Ehrman, who I don't know that he actually read any of the books he quotes that seems so misrepresents all of us. Uh, he seems to think I'm trying to link the two in some way, whereas I'm just saying, look, in the one case, we know the man couldn't have meant he was the literal brother of Jesus. He was thinking of a heavenly being and that he was the incarnation of another hypostasis of, of this heavenly Christ. How do we know James didn't mean that? Uh, it, it just... Or, or something similar. There were missionaries called Brethren of Jesus that pop up in Matthew 25 and 1 John, various places. You just can't assume that it means he's the biological brother. Catholics have never thought so. Uh, then with the other thing, the, uh, the Epistle to the Galatians seems to have been interpolated. Uh, there are uh, places where Tertullian, who argues against Marcion, a uh, radical Paulinist, uh, is quoting Galatians against him, and the, the things that appear in our copies of Galatians that he would have to have quoted had he known of them. He, he doesn't. So you can tell people have been adding. His copy couldn't have read as ours does. And this is definitely one of those cases, because imagine if uh, you're introducing, let's say the, they're introducing Mitt Romney. Uh, or the next president of the United States, and one thing about Mitt Romney, he, he had a mother. He was born. Would anybody ever say that? Uh, it, it only appears in Galatians because it has become an issue as to whether Jesus was born or not. And so somebody's trying to say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's just like that thing in First John, whoever denies that Jesus came in the flesh. 
This is the same sort of a thing. Marcion said that Jesus was not born. He descended out of heaven in the appearance of a full-grown man. And it seems to me that the, the letter to the Galatians has been augmented a good deal. As, as uh, you know, This is just the kind of thing Bart Ehrman points out in his very excellent book, The Orthodox Corruption of Scripture, that as we now read it, there are numerous places where scribes have... Uh, altered the text to fend off what they regarded as Christological heresies. This has got to be the king of those. Yeah, he was born all right. You're not going to bother to say that unless somebody's denying it. My guest is uh, Robert Price, uh, author of The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems. This is Religion for Life. Uh, Your book is a collection of nine essays or articles. Uh, The longest one I personally thought was the most interesting, called uh, New Testament Narrative as Old Testament Midrash. What is Midrash, and how does that work with the stories about Jesus? Uh, It was a uh, Palestinian and Hellenistic, or I guess you might say a rabbinic and Hellenistic Jewish technique of interpreting stories by rewriting them. Uh, And sometimes the same story would be told of different characters. And uh, the there's whole commentaries that are that are narrative in character. And in both the Hellenistic and Jewish worlds, as Thomas Brody and uh, John Dominic Cross and Randall Helms, many others have pointed out, people tended to expand the Bible by reapplying stories, and that seems to be what happened here, that they've taken elements from various stories, especially about Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, and just sort of written them up as Jesus stories. Some are very obvious, such as when Elisha multiplies uh, the, uh, the the barley loaves, I believe it is, that somebody brings him for his disciples. It's not nearly enough, and the disciples say, how are we going to divide all of this for everybody to get enough? And then he miraculously multiplies the food. It, it, that is so much like the two stories in Mark where Jesus does that. What are the chances that, that he actually did this or somebody just rewrote the Elijah story? It may even be, you know, people didn't have their own copies of the Bible to look at. They may simply have uh, remembered the basic story and said, now, who did this? Well, I guess it was Jesus. Uh, and so it seems like a great number of these stories have, uh, have such, sometimes the whole plot like that, but other times have uh, various significant details reshuffled into a new story. And uh, again, this is no, I don't want to take credit for this. Many scholars have pointed this out. Uh, they just haven't brought all the examples together. This uh, first appeared in um, the uh, Encyclopedia of Midrash that uh, Rabbi Jacob Neusner and uh, Alan J. Avery Peck edited. Uh, it's not some sort of harebrained notion of mine. I mean, at least there are people who are experts in Midrash that seem to accept it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, that I find almost stunning that you can account for so much of the gospel material that way. And and uh, but you would say that applies even to some of the parables of Jesus, which, for example, the Jesus seminar said uh, that, that they pointed to the real guy. But you're saying some of these parables have antecedents in literature. Oh yeah, like the rich fool, which I think is just a great parable. This guy uh, gets rich. He's a wealthy farmer. He has such a harvest. He says, "I'm going to have to tear down my barns and build bigger ones just to hold it, and then I can I'll be on easy street forever." And that very night, God says to him, "You." at times up and he dies well this is almost exactly like uh, uh, saying from Ecclesiastes 
and uh, there, there are a number of things like that. Some of the parables just seem, or, or the uh, prodigal son, I'm convinced, is actually based on the end of the Odyssey, uh, when uh, Odysseus comes home and uh, finds, uh, from his long uh, prodigal wanderings, and uh, there's a conflict with the, the suitors of Penelope and so on. I go into that in some detail. Uh, there's a bunch of them that, or miracle stories that appear to be uh, based on the Odyssey. The Gadarene demoniac is the Cyclops, and the uh, demons going into the pigs is Circe changing the troops of Odysseus into pigs, and so on. But there's a lot of stories about Jesus and stories supposedly by him that appear to have just come from uh, rabbinic or Hellenistic sources. You know, through, and that was common. Yeah, you know, through the history of, of Christendom all the way, I would think through the 19th century and still for many people today, the Bible has been trusted to, to give us the story of creation, human beings, uh, even the end, Adam and Eve to Moses, David, Jesus to Revelation. Uh, the Bible told us the narrative of the world and how humans uh, came to be and what they're doing, and it was trusted to be accurate. And then you guys come along, uh, critical scholars and scientists, and you pick away, this is fiction, that's fiction, the universe is 14 billion years old, human beings evolved, and all along the way it's been a fight with those who want to hold on to the accuracy or the historicity of the Bible. Do you, do you think that uh, Jesus as an historical person is the last pillar uh, to be shaken regarding the Bible as a human book? Uh, I would say so, though I guess of equal magnitude is the current uh, trend toward Old Testament minimalism, where to my considerable amazement, uh, Thomas L. Thompson and Niels Peter Lemke and many other scholars have said, look at the archaeology here, this is no more historical than the Book of Mormon narrative. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess that's just an extension of the same principle to the whole Bible. It just seems to be literary and legendary and not historical. Uh, Buddhists have uh, wrestled with that for a long, long time and come to some peace with it. Maybe Christians can, too. My guest, Robert Price, author of The Christ Myth Theory uh, and Its Problems, a fascinating book uh, to check out. Um, I just have a minute left. Uh, your latest book uh, is Paul the Colossal Apostle. Maybe when you come back, you'll talk about that book with me. Uh, but within a half a minute, can you, can you give us uh, a hint about it? Yes, it deals with the radical theories that, the, that none of the epistles attributed to Paul were actually written by him any more than the many documents attributed to John and Peter are thought by anyone, any scholars, to be authentic. And then who was Paul and uh, the, the view that uh, goes back to F.C. Bauer that he's really the same individual we hear of as Simon Magus and that there's a lot of neglected evidence about this. So that's kind of some of the big points in it. All right. Well, that would be great. I hope you do come back. Uh, Dr. Robert Price, author of The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems. Thank you for being with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Next week, we continue our series, Will the Real Jesus Please Rise? I will be speaking with one of the founders of the Jesus Seminar and a leading scholar of the historical Jesus, Dr. John Dominic Crossan. I'm John Shuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.